You're listening to the Dogaritaville Podcast. I'm Laura. And I'm Lily. We are two dog professionals with two different styles, two different backgrounds, and two common goals. To drink delicious margaritas and talk about dogs. Welcome to Dogaritaville. Welcome to episode 21 of the Doggeritaville podcast. Today we are talking about fearful dogs and some things you can work on if they're scared of everything and drinking chocolate-themed margaritas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can that be the drinkle? Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we need more sound bites like dogs barfing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could get one of Balto. He does this thing where he goes like... <laughs> Like that. It's really throaty. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) For every episode, we pick a theme and each do our own take on it for our margarita recipes. And then we post them on Instagram so you can try them at home. Uh, We're always looking for... Yeah. (laughs) Listen, our social media (laughs) game is not going to... Not going to be publicly addressed. Uh, um, we're always looking for new ideas, whether it's for episodes or margaritas. So send them to us. And leave us a review. Also, I was going to put that in here. And then I was like, I think that's in the like pre-recorded thing. It uh, is at the sure. end of the episode, though. But also, I made it an Instagram post about getting reviews. And we didn't get a single more reviews. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I noticed that, you guys. Yeah, I was like, well, because Apple uh, is the only way that you can do reviews and it's there's a delay. Like, so if I review today, it's not going to show up until tomorrow because I think they review it or some shit. I don't know. And so I I checked that day and I was like, oh, well, maybe it's just not showing up yet. And then I checked the day after the post and I was like, these bitches. <laughs> we got 100 listens like consistently every single episode and nine reviews. So let's just collectively decide to get our fucking shit together. Okay. All thanks. right, guys. There it is. <laughs> also, thanks for listening, I guess. <laughs> I'll stop yelling at we you. We love you. <laughs> We're just disappointed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, <laughs> I can't stop laughing about the jingle. Uh, <laughs> We're debuting a new segment today called Just the Tip. Jingle <laughs> to be determined. Uh, I can't. I can't do this. It's gonna be so good. Uh, it's. I mean, I don't know what it's gonna be yet, but it's gonna it's happen. Like, it has nothing to do with margaritas or dogs, but we're just. That's what we're calling no, it. But the butt stuff last episode made it like a slippery slope. <laughs> now I almost did like a whole entrance to this segment about how like we're both teenage boys and just the tip makes us laugh no matter how many times we say it uh, oh god it is what it is you don't like it you shouldn't be here i don't know uh anyways just the tip new segment where we give basic dog tips for the everyday dog owner uh so today's tip comes from a trainer on tiktok that i saw the other day And it seems so simple, but I think it could really help all of us when we're training our dogs. And the tip was, if your dog is doing a behavior that you don't like or that you just want to change, figure out what the function of that behavior is for the dog, and it will help you go forward with the training. And the example that this trainer used was he wanted to teach his dog to sit before crossing the street instead of just running into the road. So he said, what's the function for my dog when they run into the road? 
and he determined that it was just forward progress, so getting to move forward on the walk, which is usually the function of why dogs are moving on a walk. Um, but, <laughs> but with that information, he can turn that forward progress into a reward for the behavior that he wants, which is sitting. So that's a pretty basic example. But I think that getting into the habit of discerning what the function of a behavior is, is like the important takeaway of it. And it would make our training just a little bit easier if we could get in that habit. Yeah, so I feel like that's really good advice, but also kind of confusing for like the average person, right? Because I read that in the outline and I was like, wait, what? Uh, Even though it's something that like I do every day, right? (laughs) I've always talked about that. Like, you know, anything is a reward and, and whatever they are trying to get to, like that becomes the reward or whatever. So I think just I'm trying to figure out ways to explain it like a little bit more simply And we're just utilizing the reasoning for the behavior as a reward, essentially, which I know is what you just said. But for some reason, the way you said it confused me. (laughs) Well, so maybe maybe a better example would be like, so a lot of people um, get stuck on the idea, like especially in positive reinforcement training, that like if your dog is doing something you don't like, you should ignore it. And they get like really stuck on that one thing. And so they're like just ignoring all their dog's bad behavior. But the reason that that works is if the function of the behavior is to get your attention. So if the function of the behavior is to get your attention and you don't pay attention to it, then that is going to stop the behavior. But if they're self-rewarding somehow, then ignoring it is not going to help. So like if they're jumping on the counters and getting food off the counters, the function of the behavior was not to get your attention. It was to get food off the counter. And so ignoring it is not going to stop it. So maybe that's a better way to explain it. Yeah. And I think too, that's where like, I never tell people to ignore anything. I always just say we're not rewarding it, but we are addressing it. Uh, Because if you tell people, like, it's a slippery slope, like you said, with ignoring, we're not going to ignore counter surfing because that doesn't help us. That's getting us nowhere, right? Right. So you have to address it in some way, uh, but not give attention for the behavior because you can scream, get the fuck off of the counter every single time they do it. It's (laughs) not going to get you anywhere. Right. (laughs) Um, because again, they're just getting more attention for a negative behavior. But yeah, so I use the example of like, if your dog is super jumpy for food, because obviously they want the food, you're trying to show them that the sit stay is what gets them the food, right? Uh, and that they never get food for being jumpy at it, uh, which I didn't love that example either. But, you know, I think a better example for me, the counter is actually a really good one um but was like your dog is really excited to go outside so they bolt out the door but same thing as the street like making them sit beforehand the reward is getting to go outside right yeah so um so to go out the door this is another good example too so we'll just like try to hit on a bunch of examples and hopefully one of them sticks with the listener right but um it's it's hard but to go out the door so like obviously i use a lot of food in training but there are some situations where i don't and one of those is on a walk usually sometimes i do if we're in a really familiar area and my dog can pay attention to the food then i will use it but like going out the door there's nothing more exciting than going out the fucking front door (laughs) so like when the function of the behavior is to get outside or like to you know experience the world and sniff all these things and whatever then using food to to get your dog to sit at the door is just less effective than just using the fact that they want to go out the door so I guess the point of what I'm saying is if we can get into the habit of identifying what the function of the behavior is, then we can just start in a better spot for our training. Absolutely. And I so I think that like the 
just the tip is that literally anything can be a reward, right? It's every time. Every time we're going to do it. Um, oh, God. I mean, it's just funny. It's the same joke since I was like 12 years old and it's still funny. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, anything can be a reward. And when you know what your dog wants, then you can use it as as a reward, right? Yep. I was trying to think, like, I wanted this segment to be more basic, like, super basic shit that, I mean, this is really good, uh, but I wanted it to be, like, super, super basic shit that, like, just a lot of people don't know, like, you shouldn't free feed or feed your dog once a day. You should feed them twice a day and make sure they have meal times. because uh, that's, like, something super fucking basic that a lot of people don't do. Right. <laughs> but then... Per usual, the second we made it a segment, I didn't have a single idea. <laughs> uh, so here we are. Yeah, when we first made the rant a segment, neither of us had a rant, and that is so unusual. It was like... And and now, every single day, we text each other being like, I have a new rant. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to have it. like an Excel spreadsheet or a calendar yeah. to keep track of who gets to rant when. The hard thing about rants is that, like, once I go over them in my head and I'm like, oh, I'm going to use this for the the next recording. Then by the time recording comes, I'm like, oh, I'm not mad about it anymore. I already got it all out. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? Uh, I have a gift. I can stay mad forever, so. (laughs) I am still not once since we created the crazy stories segment have i been able to come up with a single crazy story (laughs) i've been trying so hard because i want to tell one so bad and i just have nothing anyways moving on (laughs) okay so sorry um that was just the tip (laughs) you can't even say it it's so great ludicrous okay that was just the tip (laughs) Um, we're going to take a break here, and when we get back, we're going to start talking about fearful dogs. Oh, man. So good. Margarita check. Laura, how did you make your chocolate margarita today? I don't know how I feel about this, but my recipe that I did was two ounces of tequila, one ounce of chocolate liqueur, uh one ounce triple sec and i would say two to three ounces of half and half uh and then i just loaded the glass with chocolate syrup (laughs) um and let me tell you that milk with tequila just i gagged multiple times making this (laughs) like i just (laughs) it seems so disgusting it's not that it's not nearly as bad as I thought I, it was. It's borderline decent. But man, just thinking about milk with tequila. Can't do it. It gets me every time. <laughs> I just it's actually decent. The the more that I let the chocolate syrup sink in, it <laughs> the better it gets. But <laughs> I can't say I will ever do this again. You're using your frappuccino skills from Starbucks. What's funny about that is as I was making it, I was doing uh, the syrup design on the glass and I was like, thank God I was a barista. <laughs> <laughs> um, you got kind of fancy with yours, yeah? Well, yeah, because I already did a chocolate one and so I didn't want to yeah. just do the same one. So I, <laughs> I am 
an invalid right now, everybody. And everything <laughs> oh, yeah, is hard. Like, everything is so hard for me. <laughs> Every time I take a shower, I have to, like, take a 30-minute nap afterward because it was, like, so hard just to take a shower. Like, it's everything is hard. So I didn't measure shit. <laughs> I just got my my shaker, filled it with ice. I put, like, a splash of heavy cream in it. Um, I pulled a shot of espresso for myself and put that in. Um, I used one and a half ounces of Kahlua, and I know that because I had a little airline bottle, so that was measured. <laughs> and then I'm guessing that I used one and a half ounces of Godiva dark chocolate liqueur, but I'm not totally sure how much I used. It could have been more. And then I put, like, a lot of chocolate syrup in it. <laughs> I don't have, like, a measure for, for what that would have been. The um, and then way. I added a tiny splash of tequila just so I could technically say it was a margarita. And then I shook it. So I think that's I think that's where I went wrong, is doing the full amount of tequila. I mean, again, it's not bad. It's still decent, but just... Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my recipe called for j- dark chocolate liqueur, but... They had a weird, like, supply of chocolate liqueurs at the liquor store. They had, like, mint chocolate and all this white chocolate, but they only had the one regular chocolate, and I didn't see any dark chocolate that wasn't mixed Hmm. with some other flavor. So I took a chance, and I don't really like dark chocolate anyway, so I was okay with it, but but I am excited to try it. I got... um, coffee dark rum for christmas and i'm super stoked to make a chocolate drink out of that because that doesn't gross me out as much this sounds really yummy also there was a recipe i didn't do it because i would have had to go to the grocery store and i didn't want to do that uh, um there was a recipe that was just tequila triple sec blended with chocolate ice cream for a frozen chocolate marg and i was like that actually sounds legit because honestly it was the half and half that got me on this i was like Mm-mm, nope no no <laughs> hard pass there is milk and ice cream as well just i know but it's not as gross to me like the half and half in and of itself kind of grosses me out but when you're mixing it. it with liquor mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. nope the more we talk about it the harder it is to drink this even though it's not that bad <laughs> so let's get into this episode a little bit Um, In our first, well, our second segment of the episode, but our first segment about fearful dogs, we are going to talk about the the why and the what. I couldn't remember which ones. (laughs) I'm already a little bit drunk. I like, I prefer what why. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So we're going to talk about why a dog might be fearful of everything. And we've discussed in past episodes that the why is not always super important with, with, Super important when you're dealing ah. with fear or reactivity, and that is still true, but it could potentially help you prevent some things. And so we're going to briefly talk about the potential whys, about why a dog might be afraid of everything. Uh, yeah, so there's a lot of reasons, and especially coming from the rescue world, please, for the love of God, stop assuming that you know why. Mm. If one more client or adopter or just random person on the street tells me that their dog was abused... I'm going to stab myself in the face. <laughs> I just like literally I hear it once a day. It's just so frustrating. I'm like, okay, animal abuse is just not that prevalent. Like, <laughs> God damn it. Dogs can be fearful for a myriad of reasons. Many of them do not include some sort of trauma. Their environment is a huge contributing factor. What I see more often than not is just that they've never experienced anything outside of wherever they came from. 
and never having seen something before makes it very scary. Yes. <laughs> uh, so if you have a new dog and they get scared every time you raise your voice or raise your hand, it doesn't mean they were beat before. It just means they don't fucking know you. And maybe they weren't socialized with people. Like It could be that simple. Or, I mean, some dogs are just sensitive. Like Also. Yeah, yeah exactly. So that's a good lead in to that they could also just have a genetic predisposition to be fearful. I've told the story a thousand times. I won't go over it again. But I got Peter at eight weeks. Nothing has ever happened to him. He was rescued at five days old. I got him at eight weeks. Nothing has ever happened to this dog. He is extremely fearful of the world. That's it. I know nothing happened. Yeah. that It just, it is. That's who he is. He's more scared than his mom who lived on the street for eight years. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, and obviously, yes, of course, they can have negative experiences and that can cause that reaction. I'm not saying that's not possible. It's just not every fucking dog. <laughs> yeah. It's not as common as it sounds. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, literally anybody that has adopted a dog says that. Yeah. Not every rescue dog <laughs> had had these experiences. And more often than not, again, they were just left wherever they were, whether they never left the house or they never left the yard or whatever it is. They're just not socialized. Yeah. Like, I think that would be something that I should hear every day. Not that they were abused because not every dog is fucking abused. Right. <laughs> That's not the only way dogs are fearful. Well, and just biologically, like... It You know, fear keeps animals alive. I would kind of expect your dog to be afraid of things unless you teach them not to be because that's just like a function of of evolution. Yeah. Like fear keeps exactly. th- things alive. So Well, and it's like even if you get like a super well-bred dog from a great breeder, like all puppies still have a fear period. Mm-hmm. That's just how dogs work. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, just don't assign false histories. It's one of my biggest pet peeves. That should be a rant one day. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Write it down. Um, (laughs) Putting it in the book. But yeah, trauma is a lot less common than everybody wants to think it is. I know everybody thinks their dog is very special, but chances are it was probably not abused. So unless you have evidence that it was, like legitimate evidence. Right. Don't just assume that it was and that's why it's scared. So that's a little bit about the why. And again, the why is not super important if you have a dog who is already fearful, but they are helpful things to keep in mind. Like if you're thinking of getting a dog or if you're thinking of adopting a puppy, like you have some information about how to maybe prevent fear in your dog. Which the number one preventative is just to socialize them. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so now that we've gone over the why, let's talk about the what. So for what, we're going to talk about what behaviors are manifesting in dogs due to fear. So what does a dog who is scared of everything look like? And in my experience with fearful dogs, which I've dealt with a lot of um, reactive dogs, which could, I mean, I think think half or more of those were maybe fear-based. Come on, you guys. Not right now. Please. (laughs) Um, But I, I haven't dealt with like, really really truly fearful dogs except maybe max was kind of afraid of everything in his environment but the dogs that i've mostly dealt with have been like reactive and reacting in a way where they were like lunging growling snapping and trying to create distance but i also especially when we were in houston i know that i met a lot of fearful dogs who i was seeing like shut down behaviors like hiding and cowering and stuff like that so those are the behaviors that come to mind for me when i think about like overly fearful dogs 
Yeah, Houston's actually a really good example. That never really occurred to me. Uh, so for those of you that don't know, I don't know if we've ever, we should do a fucking episode about Houston. Yeah, we totally should. That would be amazing. I, for some reason that like has never crossed my mind. Uh, I'm going to write that down before we forget. Uh, but for those of you that don't know, Lily and I both got, um, deployed through volunteering with best friends to the Hurricane Harvey relief. Um, not immediately after. I think we were both there about a month after, um, month and a half after. Which it was still in full swing, don't get me wrong. And then again, like three months after <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Man, my memory. Ooh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so anyways, we both went to Houston for Hurricane Harvey relief uh, with best friends and um, worked two different deployments that were two weeks, I think. Yeah. Two weeks each. Um, and that... Pfft, Talk about a fucking crash course in behavior, man. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so that's actually a really good example. Like most of those dogs, a lot of them were just street dogs. So it's not that anything bad has necessarily happened to them. It's just they weren't owned dogs. So being in a kennel served by people is very terrifying when you've been on your own your whole life. Yeah. Well, and even if you've been part of a family structure and now all of a sudden you're in a kennel with a bunch of other anxious yeah. dogs, like it was exact- just a fear factory. Especially when it comes to disaster relief. Because right. it's not even like I mean, it was well run, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that it wasn't, but like it's pretty hard to have disaster relief be a well run shelter. Right. Yeah. Like, you have to set up something so immediately. Exactly. Yeah. And by the time we got there, it was actually set up pretty damn efficiently and pretty great uh, because we were a couple weeks after the fact. Uh, But even still, I mean, it's still it was literally hundreds of dogs and cats. Yeah. In a in energy stadium where the Houston Texans plays like (laughs) it's a fucking converted stadium that. Oh, my God. The echoes. Anyways, this will be (laughs) we're going to make its own episode. So. Uh, I won't dive too much farther into it, but and then that is an example of when a dog actually has gone through trauma. Like, yeah, <laughs> a whole ass hurricane <laughs> happened. <laughs> you were actually part of a natural disaster. Um, but yeah, definitely avoidance or defensive reactivity or defensive aggression are going to be the most common ways that fearful dogs display their fear. But I think my favorite thing about fearful dogs, which I never really thought much about until recently. They actually are huge over communicators. It's just most people miss it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the reasons that I fell in love working with fear dogs is just because they make my life super easy because they are constantly communicating more so than your normal dog because your normal dog is like, oh, I'll engage with you. I'll go play with my ball. I'll do my own thing. But a fearful dog is so fearful generally that they're constantly like focused on you or focused on something, right? Whether it be the situation or the person or whatever, which if they're focused on something, they're obviously going to be communicating a lot. Right. <laughs> Whereas your average stable dog is just like, do, do, do. So kind of that over communication is one of the reasons that I love working with fear dogs so much is because, I mean, as long as they're talking to you, you, you got an open line of communication, right? Yeah. But I think that's also, too, why fearful dogs are more difficult for the average person, because the average person doesn't know that, right? Like, they don't see the communication, they don't understand the communication, stuff like that. Yeah, and I think, like, so the average person is going to see 
and like not notice a lot of that communication and is just gonna think like oh this dog just needs to be shown that everything is okay and then like invade all of the dog's boundaries that it is very clearly setting like i am trying to create distance from you i don't want you to come near me but we're like here let smell my hand let me hug you you know like yeah Yeah. so anyways so i think i just got kind of lucky in that when i didn't know anything and i didn't know what i was doing this is really good background noise i don't know why you're annoyed it's it's, it makes our podcast more authentic okay You guys can't see her face, but she is annoyed. I'm wailing. Um, <laughs> I'm <laughs> But yeah, I would say the number one response that I see to fearful dogs is flooding. Mm-hmm. And it drives me fucking nuts. I think I got super lucky in that when I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't know anything... I just started with feral dogs. (laughs) And so, which sounds stupid. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Why would you, you can't start with that. And I mean, I agree with you, but, (laughs) uh, but it ended up kind of working out because you can't flood a feral dog. They will escape or you will get bit. Like, it's not just a normal, like, house dog that's afraid. Right. (laughs) Um, So it kind of worked out because I learned really quickly that you literally cannot flood them. So let's let's define that really quick. So flooding would be um, overexposing a dog to something that they're afraid of to hope that it that they kind of habituate to it. Um, but, Absolutely, but they yeah. don't. <laughs> yeah. So like uh, a good example, I was at the dog park the other day with a client, and uh, it was a puppy. It was his first time there. I tried to get them into daycare, but they didn't do it. So I was like, all right, well then we have to go to the dog park because he's got to get the socialization, and you're. I've asked you multiple times to take him to daycare and you're not doing it. So uh, so we went to the dog park and there was a guy inside that was like, oh, yeah, you just have to keep bringing him and keep bringing him. He'll get used to it. And he was doing very well, but you, he, did, he doesn't know how to play. So like he would instigate play. And the second the other dog would start playing, he'd be like, oh, God, and get terrified and be like, I want to go home. Uh, and so the guy that was there with his dog was like, oh, you just got to keep bringing him. When I first got my dog, she hated other dogs. And I just brought her every day until she stopped hating other dogs. And I was like, oh, God. Um, but so that's that's the perfect example of flooding. If your dog doesn't like other dogs, it doesn't mean you force it to be around other dogs until it gives up. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's not socializing. That's flooding them. And then, like Laura said, you know, with some, with some dogs, I guess, like feral dogs, I haven't experienced this myself, but it sounds like they'll find a way out of that situation. But for most dogs, what happens if you flood them is they learn that whatever they do, like their behavior has no uh, effect on their surroundings. And so then they shut down and don't display behaviors at all. And so then to us, it looks like, oh, look, they're okay with this thing now, but they're not. They're not okay. Yeah. So that is why flooding is like... No bueno, but maybe kind of looks like it's bueno sometimes. Well, and it's like, if you get lucky, they'll shut down. But if you don't get lucky, they'll escalate and fucking bite you. Sure, yeah. Because from their perspective, I mean, they're telling you over and over again, hey, I'm uncomfortable. Hey, I don't like this thing. Hey, hey, hey. Like, they're begging you to help them. And you just keep them in that situation or make it worse. (laughs) And so at some point, they're either like, fuck, I guess nobody's going to help me. I'm just trapped and shut down or they're like 
fuck, nobody's going to help me and I'm going to try to solve the problem. So yeah, most dogs that are fearful are either going to avoid and shut down or be defensive and reactive or aggressive. Yeah, I I mean, I think that that kind of covers all of it, like Mm -hmm. avoidance, defensive, kind of cowering we went over, hiding. Yeah, also just just the tip. (laughs) Um, If a fearful dog is hiding, under absolutely no circumstance should you be grabbing them from where they are. Yeah. That is not only flooding, but an excellent way to get bit. Mm-hmm. Because even if they're shut down, I yeah, don't Because do what's the function <laughs> of that behavior? <laughs> <laughs> also. That is the why and the what of fearful dogs. We will take a break here. And when we get back, we will talk about the how, a.k.a. solutions. Margarita check. How is your chocolate margarita doing? (laughs) (laughs) I dropped it. (laughs) It's all over the wall and the floor currently. It was getting good though. Mostly because I just overloaded it with chocolate syrup, which didn't make it taste like tequila at all, which solved my problem. I do think if you're going to do a chocolate margarita, I feel like it's got to be blended. I feel like that's the only way. Hmm. Uh, (laughs) How's yours? Uh, it's like almost gone. I'm feeling really, really drunk. <laughs> well, because you haven't been able to drink. And are, yeah. you, are you still on, you're still on opioids or no? No, no, no. I haven't taken pain meds in about a week. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Shit. Yeah. That's crazy. I was mostly taking them because the incisions hurt so bad. Like my actual ankle and like the bones haven't really been hurting. Yeah. Um, But now the incisions are mostly healed, so... That's crazy. It's. I feel like it happened yesterday, so I don't know. It just seems really. <laughs> it's been about three me. weeks. That's insane. Okay, so we have talked about the what and the why. So finally, we are going to talk about the how. What are the solutions for our fearful dogs? What are reasonable goals to have, and how can we work toward them? And I feel like making reasonable goals for your fearful dog is not always easy because usually we get a dog because we have all these amazing plans and expectations like going everywhere with them and doing everything with them and hiking together and traveling together or whatever it is and so the temptation might be to set that goal for our fearful dog that we will be able to do all those things and i'm not necessarily saying that that's impossible but it is quite likely that that's not a reasonable expectation and so our goals should look a little bit different than that Also, hiking is a really great activity for fearful dogs. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, depending on what they're scared of, but generally. Right. Generally Well, and depending like how busy the trail is and shit like that. Oh, yeah. See, I don't think about stuff like that because I would never go on a busy trail ever, (laughs) having having nothing to do with my dogs. Uh, (laughs) uh, I think that's also why I get along with fearful dogs so much is because we are the same. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I also am not going near people. I do hate everything else in this world. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) There's a reason Peter is my first dog. But yeah, definitely start small is like my number one tip. (laughs) My my first and foremost, uh, start small. If you think you're starting small, start smaller. (laughs) It's super important that everything be on their terms. Like I said, we don't want to flood them. But I also hesitate to say have everything be on their terms because I feel like a lot of times people turn that into enabling them. Um, And there is a huge, huge difference that I guess if you're not a dog professional, maybe you don't see. 
But I just mean don't force them in, in, into anything that's too much, aka flooding, because a little bit of stress is a good opportunity to grow and, and work through it, but too much stress and they're just not going to be learning anything. Um, yeah. And it's actually going to do damage to your relationship because now they don't trust that you're going to keep them safe, right? Yeah. And then on that topic, like when we say do everything on their terms, like that's that's pacing, but it's also, I feel like with your standard dog, you can kind of guess what they're going to find rewarding, like attention or food or toys or something. But with a fearful dog, you have to really keep in mind, I mean, keep this in mind with every dog, but especially with a fearful dog, you have to really keep in mind that they are in charge of what is rewarding for them and not you. So if they're afraid of your hands, petting them is not a reward. And if they're afraid of you talking to them, praise is not a reward. So like, exactly. Yeah. So just like keep an eye on what your dog does like and doesn't like, because it's really tempting for us to like be that really excited, energetic, like, yay, good job. And that's not always going to be helpful. Yeah. Well, and especially too, that's where I see flooding the most is that like, if a fearful dog is scared of you, you tr- like a lot of people flood them and try to pet them for like reassurance of like, hey, I'm a friend. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to pet you. But it's like petting is not reinforcing to that. They fucking hate it. You're just flooding them. Yeah. And that is the number one thing that I see with fearful dogs is that people will sit there and be petting them and be like, oh, it's okay. It's okay. And it's like the dog is sitting there like shoving itself as far away as possible and like blinking every time you pet it and like freaking out but because it's not trying to bite you you're like oh i'm just helping her calm down and it's like she fucking hates this right she hates it you know what would be a reward toss her a treat from across the room and fucking ignore her for five minutes yeah she would love that like that is what she wants in life right now (laughs) i mean i would have taiwan dogs I when I was fostering Taiwan dogs, I lived in like a 800 square foot studio apartment. <laughs> so it's kind of hard to ignore dogs in that setting. Uh, <laughs> and I would literally live in this tiny little room with them and never acknowledge their existence. Like even when I was feeding them, I would just walk right past them, put the food away from them and then walk right away. And I would never talk to them. I certainly would never touch them like they don't fucking want you around them. Like, that's the problem. Right. <laughs> you have to respect that. And by re- and it feels so backwards to us because we're so stuck on convincing them that we're positive that you're almost proving to them that you're not by doing things that they don't want you to fucking do. Right. <laughs> but yeah, if you can control yourself, which is apparently very difficult for most people, and just ignore them for maybe a day. I don't know. It depends. Most dogs aren't that long. Uh, but if you can ignore them for a little bit of time, you automatically become their person because you're telling them that they can trust you by respecting what they want and they don't fucking want you. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And then by doing that, they learn that you are okay and that you are going to listen to them when they ask you not to do something. And so they trust you. It sounds yeah. backwards because that's not the way we think about things. The number of clients that I've had who like, you know, maybe they call me because their dog hates visitors or strangers or something who like I walk into the house and like sit down on the couch and like just don't even pay attention to the dog or look at it. And then it comes up to me and the number of people that are like, that dog has never done that before. I'm like, yeah, because nobody listens to it. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Like I proved to the dog in five minutes that I'm not going to invade his space. And so he's like, cool. Thank you. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And it's the same thing with aggression cases too. They're like, oh, he warmed up to you so fast. And it's like, yeah, because I told him like, hey, I respect that you don't like me for whatever reason. And I'm not going to push that boundary. I mean, I'm going to eventually in small ways, but like not today. <laughs> yeah. It's so mind boggling to me that people don't see it. And, and I get it because I never saw it until I started doing it. Like, don't get me wrong, but it's just once you get it, it's so impossible to understand how people don't get it. <laughs> But yeah, they uh, they will trust you a lot more by listening to their wishes than anything else. And some dogs are going to take longer than others. But your average fearful dog, I mean, if you ignore them for a day, they're gonna you're going to win them over. I've definitely had dogs that it's taken several days to a week. Uh, <laughs> but those are pretty severe cases, right? But yeah, so a good example of a more normal dog, because I automatically go to like all the feral dogs that I've worked with, which isn't a great example for like your average owner. So I'll try to stay on track. But <laughs> um, a good example, too, is one of my clients. Um, she's a year old Australian Shepherd and she's kind of a mess. I love her. She's one of my favorites, but she's a mess. <laughs> And she gets, so it's it's kind of like a chicken and an egg situation, right? Because she's a mess because she gets little to no mental or physical work. But she gets little to no physical or mental work because everything causes some sort of a meltdown or overstimulation. So how do you work that dog, right? Like right. her parents her parents are awesome and they, they want to do whatever they can do for her. But it's like, I can't even take her for a walk because she's such a disaster. But it's like she's a disaster because she doesn't get a walk. <laughs> so it's kind of this vicious cycle, right? Which I feel like we see a lot with fearful dogs of like just in so many regards. But so if we can't take her for a walk because we can't control the outside world and everything is terrifying, uh, we have to start at home. But how do we start at home, right? And so it's hard to get her to engage because not only is she like fearful of everything but she's also just kind of neurotic and like skitsy so she doesn't really focus on anything or engage with anyone too much and even like the first time I went over there like none of my treats worked toys nothing like I couldn't find a motivator for her and she ended up just kind of having to be on leash most of the time because it was the only way I could even interact with her because otherwise she would just kind of ignore me and flitter around the house <laughs> And if you have an Australian Shepherd, you know what I mean by flitter around the house because that's what they do. <laughs> but so when I came back for our second session, she was already doing better because of like we just worked on basic obedience or whatnot. But I brought the highest value treats and started just giving them for free initially just to like set the the thing of like, hey, I have these and they're really tasty. <laughs> and then I would ask her to do something super basic that I know she already does. Uh, but that's still a little bit hard for her. So she, in particular, scales their couch like a freaking mountain goat. Like, she'll jump clean over it. She'll crawl up the back of it. Like, she's just, she's an Aussie, right? And so we were working with her outside, and I asked her to get up on one of the lawn chairs, and which I know she has done and does do. <laughs> but you could tell she was like, uh, this is a trap. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and so I started with just encouraging her and I wouldn't let it go. And she was focusing on me at this point because she knew I had the really high value treats. Um, if she wouldn't have acknowledged the treats, I would have had to put her on leash to make her focus on the chair. But 
luckily we didn't have to do that. And so I started with just she you could tell she like knew what I was asking and kind of wanted to do it, but was just hesitant. And so anytime she would touch the chair with her paw, I would give her a treat. And so then she started doing that more and more. And then I would start delaying the treat more and more and changing my positioning to encourage her to get more on the chair. And it sounds ridiculous, but anything that they're hesitant to do is an opportunity for them to build confidence. Because if you can get them to do the thing that they're hesitant to, they're automatically like, oh my God, I accomplished something. (laughs) (laughs) Even if it's something fucking stupid, like getting on a chair. (laughs) So eventually she was able to get on the chair and it took a solid like five or 10 minutes. Don't get me wrong. But she gained a lot of confidence, even though, again, it's really simple and it's stupid. And we built a really good rapport of that was the first time I had gotten to, to like, I had accomplished getting her to engage with me for an extended period of time. Uh, because normally, like I said, she just can't focus and she's all over the place. And I think the hard part with stuff like that and the hard part with fearful dogs in general is like, it's really hard for us to be committed to a chair for five to 10 minutes. Right. Because <laughs> we're like, this is the dumbest fucking activity. And we're just impatient in general, like just practicing sit stays. I, I see people lose it all the time because they're like, it's not doing it. And I'm like, well, you've tried three times. So calm the fuck down. <laughs> um but I mean, I, I must have encouraged her to get on the chair, you know, 30 times. It was it was a solid five to 10 minutes. It was a lot. Uh, and to me, that's normal. But to an average person, you're like, well, I've asked her four times and she's not doing it. So I guess I just give up. And it's like, right. no, no. <laughs> You've asked her to do it. So now you're stuck here until you do it. But yeah, just start really small. So it's it's something like that. Something as simple as like, oh, if she's scared to go through the dog door, get up on a chair, whatever it is. That's what you work on. Because even though it seems dumb to us, obviously it is very difficult for them. And that's what matters. Yeah. So you brought up a really good point earlier about the difference between enabling your dog and not flooding your dog or not uh, like imposing yourself on your dog, basically. So we should probably explain kind of what that means. Yeah, so, I mean, feeding into their fear to me would just be, I don't know why I keep going off the script and then getting lost. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, So, like we talked about, a lot of people either flood their fearful dogs, like my dog is scared of people, or my dog hates the dog park, so he has to go every day until he stops hating it, or my dog is scared of people, so I take her to a busy park every day and help her work through it, or I have friends come over every day and pet her. Right. (laughs) And then there's people that enable their dogs and it's like, oh, my dog is super scared of people. So I never let people come over. And if they do come over, she's in a bedroom and I just put her away. So both of those are like two extremes. Right. And I promise that there is a middle ground. Um, So, again, we don't want to flood them. Like if your dog doesn't like visitors, we're not going to have people come over every day and pet them. That's that's not helping anything. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so that's where it gets kind of confusing because a lot of people do do that. And it does kind of give you false results, right? Of like, yeah, eventually they give the fuck up and they stop reacting to visitors or whatever, or stop like hating, like they don't stop hating visitors, but like you stop seeing the the whatever behavior you were seeing before. Right. They probably stop hiding from visitors because they know it's fucking fruitless. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, I mean, in that sense, it does quote unquote work. I can't really say that it works, but it seems to the average person like it's working, Right. Uh, even though it's it 
it's not and please don't do that uh, <laughs> <laughs> um or same thing with the other end of the spectrum of like okay they don't like people so we keep her away from people and it's like yeah that works and that your dog is never scared but now your dog literally has no quality of life because it can't be around fucking people like <laughs> that i mean that's not a life right like yeah don't get me wrong not every dog wants to be a social butterfly but they still have to be able to like do things your dog should not live within the four walls of your house without seeing anyone but you that's that's not a life by anybody's standards even even a scared dog yeah Uh, (laughs) um so yeah just be cognizant of like there is a middle ground you can push their boundaries without flooding them and comfort them without enabling them. And then You're while probably- we're here, I also wanted to talk about um, like feeding into fear versus comforting your dog through their fear. And I didn't write any of this down and I'm really drunk. So like we're going to see how this goes. <laughs> like my beverage is gone and it was almost entirely liquor. It used to be, hey, Balto, Balto, can you not though? <laughs> oh my God. These fucking dogs. She's gonna she's gonna murder all of her dogs when we stop recording. The puppies um went to sleep and then Balto started just loudly licking his penis. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Fine. so there there was a mainstream idea that like comforting your dog when they're fearful will reinforce them being fearful. And I just want to address that. Because um, that's impossible to do. You can't reinforce your dog being fearful. There's a possibility that you could reinforce the things that they do in their fear because they know that it gets your attention, but you can't reinforce the actual fear. So I just don't want people to be afraid of comforting their dog. But that's also, just like the last thing we talked about, a really confusing and tricky situation because also you don't want to be... I guess the word is still enabling, like enabling your dog to opt out of things that they need to work on. And that's really easy to do when you feel like you're just comforting your dog. And so if your dog comes to you when they're afraid of something, it's okay to like pet them and be like, hey, it's okay. But like on your end, you have to be really calm and you have to be willing to go back in and like challenge them a little bit. And just like we were talking about, that doesn't mean throwing them into the situation that they can't handle or flooding them with things, but they have to have a little bit of tension or else they're not going to make any progress. So just keep in mind, like when you're comforting your dog and being a safe place for your dog to be afraid, that doesn't mean that they don't have to then go in and work on it. Did that all make sense? Yeah, so it did, but I feel like this is a little bit of a rabbit hole in that, like, I can see where people get confused because it's, to me, it's almost one of those things that's just kind of like semantics a little bit. Like, I understand what you're saying, but to the average person, I feel like it comes down to semantics of, like, yeah, if you're petting your dog when they're scared, you're not reinforcing the fear. But if you're petting the, your dog when they're scared and they're distrib, they're like dis- explain um, words, uh, <laughs> and they're displaying a negative behavior, then you are reinforcing the negative behavior that they're displaying, right? Potentially, yeah. So like that's where it gets a little bit confusing. Like if your dog is barking at a visitor because it's scared of visitors and you go over to it and you start petting it and giving it all this attention like you're reinforcing them barking at strangers yep you're not reinforcing the fear that the the 
visitor cause. But again, that's kind of like semantics, right? Like it's very different to a dog trainer. But your average person, they're like, well, it's the same fucking thing. Like you're just well, calling it different so things. So what I, what I want to avoid, because like before I was a dog trainer, what I thought that meant was like if my dog was afraid of a noise outside, I couldn't pay attention to my dog. And I just don't want people to have that idea. Like, if your dog is afraid of fireworks or thunderstorms or whatever, like, it's definitely okay to comfort them when they come to you because you're reinforcing that you are a relief, like, and you want that for your dog. But, yeah. but if they are yeah, yeah, displaying, yeah. like, like Laura said, like a, dis- a disruptive behavior, you really want to avoid reinforcing that but don't be afraid to be like a safe place for your dog yeah for sure and i think that's where too like a lot of trainers get in fights as far as like being force free or not because to me obviously i know you can't reinforce fear but the way that most people explain that make it sound like oh yeah you can pet your dog if they're barking at someone and it's like no you cannot (laughs) do not fucking do that (laughs) and like neither one of them is wrong and that like the force free trainer is correct you can't reinforce that fear but whoever's arguing with them is also correct and that you don't want to be reinforcing that negative behavior right so it's kind of one of those like things that it's like we both agree on what should physically happen but the semantics of it we will fight all day right Uh, (laughs) so um so i think that gets super confusing for people and i'm super pissed now this happens every episode i'm super pissed now that nowhere in this did we talk about like fireworks (laughs) god damn it um so i'm gonna talk about fireworks now (laughs) yeah and also check out our socialization episode i don't think we specifically talked about fireworks but we did talk about how to socialize your dog to noises so like go check that out too okay cool. I i think we did I forget things as soon as they happen. So so fireworks is one of the most frustrating times for me, not because of my dogs, (laughs) but because I get flooded with messages of, oh, I hate Fourth of July. It should people shouldn't be allowed to have fireworks. Uh, What can I do? And I'm like, okay, well, we're not going to stop a national holiday because your dog's sensitive. (laughs) sorry there's just so many things that you can do (laughs) so mama is my favorite example because mama was a severe fear dog uh and i'm also now mad that i didn't talk about her at all anywhere in this episode (laughs) but i will now so mama it was a severe fear dog that was very very pregnant um that we rescued on july 3rd (laughs) what better day than to pull a fearful dog (laughs) And she actually ended up giving birth on July 4th. Uh, (laughs) um, But this dog, like, I can't, I cannot express severe fear enough. Uh, Probably one of the most fearful dogs I've ever worked with that wasn't feral. But so the following year after she gave birth, I had her for the next 4th of July. Obviously, she wasn't very concerned on her first 4th of July because she was having babies. But (laughs) um, I had her the following 4th of July among the house of other nut jobs. And here's the thing. Like, 90% of the time, if you do any sort of prevention, you're going to be fine. So I know that if my dogs are in their kennel, they're generally not going to react to any noises going on. So obviously, being in their kennel is super helpful on 4th of July. But again, if your dog's not kennel trained, that's not going to work. So there's a lot of pitfalls in that. But 
I know for my dogs at my house that they generally don't respond to things if they're in their kennel. And so that's super helpful. I obviously always stock up on bones and chews and all that. So they have plenty of stuff to do to distract them, yada, yada. Uh, But that being said, I also don't avoid the fireworks. So with mama, you could tell she was stressed. She wasn't over threshold at all. She was just kind of like, I, I hear these noises. What what What's happening? <laughs> and kept kind of like looking at me and coming to me. And you could tell she didn't want to go out in the backyard. Obviously, the backyard, there's no fireworks out there. But, you know, the whole neighborhood is setting off fireworks. And so instead of I did give her breaks in her kennel of like, hey, here's a bone. Go chew in your kennel, whatever. But then when she would be calm enough, I would leash her up and we would work on going outside the backyard, not the front yard. Don't do that. That would be flooding. Uh, (laughs) Had I taken her in the front yard, that's a perfect example of flooding because then she can visually see the fireworks and all the people and everything else. But the backyard was a good kind of common ground because there's nobody out there and she can still hear everything, obviously, but she can't see anyone or see any fireworks. Uh, But so I would leash her up. And we would start to walk out the door. Obviously, if she fought me walking out the back door, then we'd come back inside. We'd calm down. And then we tried to bridge, bridge the back door again. Um, I don't It was years ago now, so I don't remember exactly what happened. But getting her outside was the goal. Even if we just stepped on the back patio and came right back in. Like, that's the fucking goal. Mm. Because, again, even though it's simple, like, she's terrified to go out there. So just setting foot out there is huge. Um, and just by doing that, we eventually made it outside and we hung out outside for like a half an hour. Again, taking breaks of coming back in and going back out. But like that would be working a dog around their fear without flooding them, without making them shut down and without overloading them and also giving them space to grow. Right. She's still sensitive to sound. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) But she built a ton of fucking confidence that day um and eventually just went to bed and was like hey i've I've now mentally exhausted myself working (laughs) and i can go to sleep rather than stay up all night freaking the fuck out so that's a really long-winded way of saying you can work through things without flooding and without enabling uh it's just very boring (laughs) (laughs) because hanging out walking spending hours just walking in and out your backyard is not not a good time really but (laughs) yeah well and when so when we say like go slow like it's slow like it's not like (laughs) whatever you you think is slow it's slower (laughs) exactly like yeah i don't know i feel like when we say go slow they're like okay so you know spend 15 minutes on it like no yeah like really like go slow and it's the uh so like with Mama, for instance, she really didn't want to go in the backyard. I don't remember, but I would reckon that we probably spent 30 plus minutes trying to just step a foot outside and come directly back in. I like that you said the word reckon. I know. As soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, what the fuck is that? (laughs) Add reckon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, something that really helped me, this, this wasn't about fear, but like you could translate this into a situation about fear but something that you told me that really helped me with Mooney was like I was like well we need to do leash work and I I only have a certain amount of time and so you're like okay well then you know spend that 30 minutes seeing how far you get and like yeah. your 30 minutes is spent t- 
training your dog, not on a walk. And so like for a few days, I spent 30 minutes at my front door. (laughs) Yeah. And like that was like one of the most helpful things because in my mind, I need to spend that 30 minutes walking. But like it was really important to like be able to get out the door successfully first. And so if you just have a certain amount of time to work with your fearful dog don't have an end goal just spend that time working at their pace well and so also too, like manage your expectations right of like Mm -hmm. if and i tell people all the time so i'll use the leash work example just because it's easier but like if you only have 30 minutes to walk your dog and you waste you quote unquote waste that time because they you had to spend 20 minutes doing the sit stay at the door fine then they only get a 10 minute walk today better luck tomorrow I mean, that's the bottom right. line. Well, and then, and they spend that whole time thinking too. Yeah, so they're still like, they're still working their ass off. It's not like they yeah. didn't get worked. That's the thing. We only think about work in, in physical terms. And even when we do think about it a little bit in mental, we don't think of stuff like that as mental. But right. like, the reason I want you to spend that 30 minutes at your front door, if that's what it takes, is because not only are they getting a huge mental workout, but two, you're convincing them that one, you're never going to cave. So it's not because we, your average person naturally accidentally trains their dog. They're like, hey, if you refuse to do something for long enough or you throw a big enough tantrum, you get out of it. Yeah. People teach their dog that every single fucking day. I don't care who you are. I know I do it. So I know you do it. Like, yeah. <laughs> every single one of us convinces our dogs that there is a way out because we're fucking lazy and not going to follow through. Yeah. No matter what it is. I do it myself still to this day. I don't have an example off the top of my head, but I know I do because I'm also a fucking lazy piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, just I think the, the takeaway that I want to have for fear dogs is to set attainable goals, which are probably much, much smaller goals than you think they are. Um, And patience (laughs) and attainable goals patience probably hire a trainer i know we say that every fucking episode but like it's pretty hard to figure out on your own if you don't do dog behavior (laughs) it just is i mean if you can cool (laughs) and then we talked about this a little bit in the socialization episode too but like say you have a dog who's afraid of strangers like it to me, it's not an attainable goal to say, like, I want my dog to interact with all my house guests. Like, the attainable goal yeah. would be, like, I want my dog to not panic when I have house guests. Yep. Like, you might never get to a place where your dog is literally interacting with that thing that they're afraid of. Like, I think the best that you can really, really reasonably hope for is that they just don't panic anymore. Yep. A hundred percent. So, yeah, set attainable goals is probably, like, my number one takeaway that I want. I want you to have um patience is another big one and um i guess i can't think of a good word other than tenacity but just uh don't give up don't just i feel like with fear dogs more than any other kind of behavior issue people are so much more prone to be like oh she just can't do that or they just they'll never get over that right and it's like no dude i can cure i can get a dog to stop being hand shy in like a day and a half like <laughs> I just throw my hands all the time. <laughs> like, uh, it's not that simple. Don't get me wrong. But like you can overcome just about anything. And again, yeah, it might not be that they are super social and want to be pet, but they can overcome the base fear. Right. Like there's very little circumstances in which a dog just can't get over something. Your dog doesn't like or is scared of men. Like that's solvable 
I would reckon to say, oh, I got to stop saying reckon. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know where it's coming from. If your dog is scared of men, I would be willing to bet that that is almost always workable. I've I've never met a dog that I just couldn't get through that with. Hmm. But again, that doesn't mean that they're going to be super social and like snuggle them. Right. It's just that they're not going to be terrified of them. <laughs> right. But then also like if they're scared of like a certain genre of human, like that kind of tells me that they're okay with people, but like they maybe just haven't been socialized with this certain kind of person. Exactly. But like if they're afraid of a general, like the general public, then you might have a little bit of a harder time. Well, and not to go on another tangent, but like your dog doesn't know the genitals difference. So it's not really scared <laughs> of men. It's right. scared of more authoritative, larger people. Yeah. Maybe taller people, people with hats, people with beards. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's it, it doesn't care that that person has a penis. It just doesn't. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a Mr. Potato Head joke in there somewhere. Uh, <laughs> um But so just uh, set attainable goals, be super patient, probably hire a trainer, and then also just keep working with them because you will see improvement, if not solve the least some of the issue. Well, that's it. That's the that's the topic of fear dogs. You know everything there is to know about fear dogs. Here you go. Go be a trainer. Congratulations. We'll send you your certificate in the mail. Um. We'll take a break here. And when we get back, Laura is going to yell about some stuff. So let's do our final margarita check. Laura, how's your new beverage that you got for yourself? (laughs) Well, since I spilled my entire margarita and there is milk everywhere, I switched to an Arnold Palmer with no liquor in it. And it is a goddamn delight. So iced tea I, lemonade, right? Yes, yes. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, I have a running theory that Trader Joe's has the best lemonade. Hmm. It's just I don't think f- I've had their lemonade before. It's just a fact. It's the best. As someone that lives in the desert and drinks excessive amounts of lemonade because it's always fucking hot, I have tried all the lemonade and Trader Joe's is it. <laughs> all right. I need to go check it out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, what are we doing? Oh, your margarita. Yeah. Are you done with it? Did you finish it? Yeah, I finished it a while ago. It was it was really good. Like it, I kind of made an iced mocha sort of. Ooh, um, that yeah, and it delightful. tasted like a little bit boozy, but mostly it just t- tasted like an iced mocha, which is one of my favorite things. Yeah, I think your recipe is definitely better than my recipe for sure. Which I hate because I can't give you exact measurements because I didn't take any. Well, but I think my problem was just that, I don't know. I, d- I mean, I didn't look very hard, I'll tell you that. But um, a lot of the recipes were very simple and it was just like tequila and like one chocolate thing. Whereas yours yeah. was like a couple different things. So I think that's definitely the the way to do it. Yeah, so if oh. you're if you at home are going to try to replicate my boozy iced mocha, my advice to you is just measure everything with your heart and <laughs> it will come to you. I also yours wasn't blended, but I I also feel like blended is the since like a boozy milkshake and I feel like I'm a little bit more tolerant of that than iced things. I don't mm-hmm. know. Mhm. 
All right, so there's been a change of plans. Laura was planning to yell about shit, um, but she is not in the mood to yell about shit at the moment. I'm not, which um, is weird for me. <laughs> yeah, and I pretty much always am able to be in that mood, so we're just switching gears, and I'm going to yell about shit instead. I'm emotionally exhausted, and I just, I can't summon the, I can't summon the rage. <laughs> Okay, so here's my rant, and you'll have to make sure to, like, copy and paste yours into a different thing so that we can keep it for a day that you're feeling angrier. I will say, (laughs) I will say, just to give you, like, a little prelude for one day when it does happen, my rant was about Prozac, doggy Prozac, and this is, like, the second or third time that I've copped out of doing it. (laughs) So just know that one day there's going to be a rant about Prozac, and it will be a long time coming. (laughs) Yeah, when you least expect it, we're going to yep. hit you with it. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. So my rant is about other trainers, which I think for the most part, our <laughs> podcast like is is people who are just reg- regular dog owners. So I don't know that we have a ton of trainers listening to this. But like, if you're listening to this, like just, okay, come on. <laughs> so I had someone reach out to me about leash reactivity and we were chatting about it and um she lives in chicago which is a few hours away from me so i was like you know i think that if you're having significant issues you should probably find someone who can observe your dog in person um instead of me because like i we could talk about this virtually but it's just not going to be as effective as if someone's like there with your dog and she said oh yeah so i did hire a trainer for this and he took my dog on a walk without me and then came back and said, he's fine. So that means that you are just causing all of his stress on a walk. And then he just like fucking left. Like he just dipped. Like that was it. And I just could not be more she, fucking angry about this. Did she this. by chance tell you how much he charged? No, she didn't. No. But I I, bet it was a lot. Exactly. I was like, I also have a running theory that dumbasses that do stupid, crazy shit like that are also the people that are like, oh, I'm like $300 a session. (laughs) Yeah. So here's the rant is that it does not fucking matter one single fucking bit how well you can interact with the dog. That does not make you a, as a good as a trainer. dog trainer. Yeah. Like, you have to tell this person how to interact with their dog. That dog's never going to fucking see you again. What does it matter that you were able to interact with it well? Like, if you can't empower this person to do the right things with her dog, then, like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, that just, I, it made me so angry. Yeah, so that's super funny because uh, this comes up a lot in my sessions. Uh, because for me, like, because my, like, homework and, and game plan is so individualized to the specific dog, um, I, I generally try to have their owners be the only ones handling, but sometimes to figure out, like, how they're pulling or what, like, what they're actively doing on leash, I can't always tell just by watching them. So sometimes I'll walk them for, like, a small period of time just to see. And it is fucking insane. To watch the differences passing the dog from handler to handler. Because a lot mm-hmm. of the times, if it's like me, a wife, and a husband, um, the dog acts completely different with each one of us. 
right? Yeah. And it's always nicest to me and not because I'm such an amazing dog dog handler because I don't fucking live with it. So it automatically mm. takes me way more seriously because anytime that I'm with that dog, I'm 100% on and I'm expecting the absolute best. But when you yeah. live with a dog, you're not on 24-7. You're not asking them to work 24-7. You're not expecting the best 24-7. But the only interactions that they have with me a couple hours a month, I am 100% on and I expect the best. <laughs> so yeah, they're going to be nicer to me. Because our yeah. relationship is completely different. It has nothing to do with how good or bad of a handler I am or how good of a bad or bad of a handler you are. That's not even the conversation. <laughs> well, I mean, it it might be as far as like you have really good timing and you know what to look for and all of that stuff. But like at the end of the day. That doesn't mean that like you're causing the reactivity. Yeah. Right. Like, it doesn't matter how good your timing is or how well you can walk the dog. Like, if you can't teach someone else how to walk the dog like you do it, then, like, that you're, does, you're, you're not, not a, a trainer. You're not That's a good trainer. That's literally your job. <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. I just, I was so sad for her when she told me that because, like, now she feels like she's stuck because, like, this trainer was like, okay, well, you're the problem. Bye. Yeah. So she's like, oh, there's Which, nothing I can do. Like, don't get me wrong. We're always the problem. If dogs were right. left to their own <laughs> devices, they wouldn't have fucking issues. They'd also be running fucking wild. Like, <laughs> it's always us because we're forcing an animal to live in our world. Like, yep. pro- it's always our problem. People say that to me all the time. They're like, oh, I know it's me. And I'm like, bro, it's always us. Always, no matter what the problem is, it's our fault every time. Yep. Or at least our responsibility. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Like, it's, you're saying that like it means something. It doesn't mean, yeah, we force this animal to live in our house and deal with our city bullshit. Like, yeah, that's on us. <laughs> I don't, I don't know why you're saying it. Like, you feel guilty. Like, you have a dog. That's, that's what having a dog is. <laughs> like, I don't, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, it's very, oh, man, when you told me that, I was cracking up, uh, mostly because, like, it didn't surprise me at all. <laughs> I, I just, uh, oh, my gosh, it just makes me so mad. Like, the the point of being a trainer is not to prove that you are good with dogs. Like, it's, well, and like, you have also, to teach people. That's also my big argument against boarding trains. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, so the dog can successfully live with me. Right. Ha- how how, do, how does that help you? <laughs> right. Yeah. But I remember, much. like, one of the first times that I shadowed you, you came up to Seattle, and um, we were working with those people who lived up by the airport, mm-hmm. and, um, and they had that, they had, like, some dogs that needed help living with each other, and one of them was, like, really super reactive on leash, and, um... And you brought the dog out, and they, they like, went to hand you the leash, and you were like, I don't need to walk your dog. Yeah. You need to walk your dog. <laughs> and it, it just, like, seemed, like, so simple. But, like, how powerful is it for the owner to hear, like, you know, I'm going to yeah. help you do this? Well, because, to be fair, when I first started training, I had a couple sessions kind of on accident. Like, I didn't, I didn't even necessarily realize that I was doing it. On occasion, I would have sessions where, like, I ended up handling – because I'm trying to show them stuff, right? So I ended yeah. up handling the dog the whole time. And then I come back in two weeks and the homework's not as good as it should be. And they're like, well, yeah, you didn't watch me do it at all. So I was just doing what I saw you do. And I don't know if I was doing it right. And I was like, oh. Right. 
Right. Okay. Yeah. Shit. Sorry. (laughs) So now I'm super cognizant of like, I might need to take them for a minute just to figure out like how they're doing things. But like, yeah, you always have to handle them in front of me. So I could say, okay, you're doing that perfectly. That needs to change, blah, blah, blah. Because I can tell you and show you the same thing 20 times. That doesn't mean you're going to be able to do it. Right. Because it seems super simple, but like nothing about leash work is ever simple. So, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, that's bananas to me. Just bananas. Yeah. So if you've ever had a trainer who did that to you, let me know. And I don't know what I'll do for you. I'll do something for you. (laughs) I'll I'll leave them a mean review or something. (laughs) I what I would really love. And we we don't have great uh, like calls to action yet, but one day when we do have great calls to action, <laughs> I want everybody to flood our inboxes with terrible trainer stories. Yes, because nothing would make me happier than going through all of, and and slightly frustrated and sad, but also just happy. <laughs> also, like I I hope this doesn't happen, but it would also be like a hysterical flex if like one of my previous clients sent me an email about myself and was like, "Here's what you did wrong." <laughs> No, I love that shit. Well, and yeah. that's what's um, that's what's really interesting. A lot of the like business coach stuff, and a lot of the stuff in my shelter manager certification is like you need to be getting feedback from every constituent, which is both terrifying and genius. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, because I mean, we've all had clients that like either didn't follow through or stopped stop training early or whatever right like and it's not always us like um i don't think we've ever either of us have ever had a like somebody that just hated us and demanded a refund or anything but like i've had clients that bought a package and then stopped doing it you know a couple sessions in and i don't know that it was me it might have been them i don't know uh but it's like you need feedback from these people like because yeah. and sometimes it's just you know you're not the right trainer for them or whatever but like that's still good to know like luckily i figured out the handling thing myself but like i could have very well just kept handling the dog the whole time and never have forced the, the owners to handle and then i would be a much shittier trainer like <laughs> yeah i i both love and hate that idea because like i really do honestly like i love knowing how I can do a better job because I want to do the best job like I really do I can't I can't tell you how much I want to do the best job it's her defining trait yeah it it is yes um but like it also is a little bit terrifying to me because like just as an example so I I do puppy head start here obviously and then for one of my dogs who was going to go live in New York I realized after she went I was like I should have done a lot more leash work with her and I just I I treated it more like my standard puppy head start dog who's going to live in a suburb or something. Um, But I should have done a lot more leash work with her. And so then the next dog who was going to go live in a city, I did a lot of leash work with. But then I had this like crippling guilt that they paid me the same amount of money. (laughs) And like I did a better job with one than the other. So like I both love that idea. But then also like it's going to make me really guilty and sad. So there's that. (laughs) I have kind of the opposite where... Even though I want and need the feedback, my knee-jerk reaction is to get furious and think that they're fucking idiots if they don't like something I do. <laughs> and I eventually, I mean, it's that's my initial response. And then I will eventually, like, 
mull it over for several days and then realize that like, oh, they're right and I can need to do this. And so, I mean, in the end, it's good. But my knee jerk reaction is always like, well, I fucking hate you now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's just who I am as a human being. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I, I wonder, I'm not saying it's a good thing. We should thing. like examine like how our parents treated us as children. Because when someone <laughs> tells me I did something wrong, I'm like, I probably did. I'm so sorry. So I do. I do also have that reaction. But it depends on the situation situation if in a training circumstance it's usually something that i have a lot of reasons for and and they just wouldn't like or didn't think i don't know so in that situation i'm much more prone to be like well you're a fucking idiot and didn't do it right and that's why it didn't work so fuck you (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but yeah normal like day-to-day life i'm like oh i'm oh you're you're right i did that wrong i'm sorry (laughs) i'm gonna cry about it for an hour and then i'll do better yeah (laughs) Did something just break? No, Scott's making dinner. He's just loud. Oh. <laughs> Sounded like glass breaking for a second. I think he dropped silverware. Uh. <laughs> I don't know what he said, but I can just hear him in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. All right. Um, well, that we went on so many tangents this episode, so, but I think it was, was a really, really good one. This was a heavy tangent episode. I'm just glad, like, I want to have actionable things. So I'm glad that we had the, like, main main takeaways. That's that's my jam. Yeah. Because I, I feel to... like we talk a lot for an hour and a half or 45 minutes, whatever they get edited down to. And then sometimes people walk away being like, so what should I do now? <laughs> like, sure. So I just want to try to make it. Because it's... it's shockingly hard for us to relate (laughs) that's what blows my mind every time i talk to a client or we do an episode or like we we release an episode and somebody messages me a question i'm like wait what how is that even a question like what (laughs) i didn't know that was a thing people didn't know (laughs) my sister-in-law was like so muzzle training so i just leave the muzzle on for 10 minutes every day and i'm like i I 100% understand why you think that that's what muscle training is because we didn't explain exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, that's but what I'm no. trying to. <laughs> that, well, and that's the cool thing that I really like about the podcast is that, like, we can progressively get, like, it's basically just an exercise in communication, right? <laughs> yeah. Which I arguably am fucking terrible at. So it's really helpful for me to be, like, to get these feed- this feedback on episodes and be like, oh, I see what I need to do next time with the next subject. Because that yeah. never fucking dawned on me. And pretty um, much the answer is like over explain everything. Like, exactly. Scott has been coming with me to all my training appointments because he has to drive me everywhere because I'm an invalid. She's a cripple. And <laughs> and at one of my training p- appointments, we were talking about mental enrichment. And I was like, oh, and yeah, like puzzle bowls are good, but I really prefer this or this or this. And Scott like stopped me and he was like, do you know what a puzzle bowl is? Because he could see that they were like, a what? And literally... That exact same scenario this week. I was like, uh, we need to get her to start eating out of puzzles and mental enrichment toys like that. And then I left and she sent me a picture of a puzzle bowl and she was like, like this? And I was like, yeah, I'm in a wobbler. But like, yes, you're you're right. That is a puzzle. <laughs> right. <laughs> but like stuff like that never occurs to me. Like one of our very first episodes, we were talking about slip leads and my be- one of my best friends messaged me and she's like, what the fuck is a slip lead? And I'm like, What? what like yep i also have this like really weird complex where i feel like if i know something that means that everybody must know it well it just doesn't occur to me that like 
I mean, everybody knows what a leash is, right? So, like, it doesn't occur to me that a s- people, not everybody knows what a slip leash is. Right. I, I don't know why. I mean, it makes total, why would you know that? But, like, it just, it's not something that occurs to me ever. <laughs> yep. I don't know. Well, we should wrap this thing up, I think. Yeah. We've been I, talking for a long time. I want to So, I think food. that about wraps it up. Our 21st episode is ready to be let out of the kennel. You can find me on Instagram at Miss Lily's Dogs or on my website, MissLilliesDogs.com, or my online training platform, Patreon.com slash Dogs. Also, I'm on TikTok now. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's a dad joke about this being our 21st episode and being allowed to drink now. And anyways, you can find me on Instagram at properpupperslv and my website, properpupperslv.com. In our next episode, we will be drinking marguanas. I don't know what that is, so don't expect you to. Uh, next time on the Doggeritaville podcast. Thanks for listening to Doggeritaville. Send us an email at doggeritaville at gmail.com. Or send us a DM on Instagram at doggeritaville. And let us know if there are any topics you'd like to see covered. Or if there are any margaritas you want us to try. And don't forget to leave us a review. Until next time, give your dog a treat from us.